0: Just read with Mary, and if there are any children, my wife is pointing at me. Dismiss the children if they're here. You are excused. Your classroom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come before you this morning as your people, renew us in the image of Christ. Lord, we've already prayed that you will give us the hearts to know you, the minds to see you. We've confessed our sin. We've heard that our sin has been pardoned in Christ. But Lord, as we come to your word, pierce us. Pierce us to our very core that we might follow Christ. There's nothing that I can say, there's nothing that John can say, there's nothing that anyone here can say that will change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, but it's only by the power of your Spirit that we have hope. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. Lord, I pray for Charlie Reddit that you will be with him. Lord, I pray for Linda Horde, that you will remove this cancer from her. Lord, I pray for Morgan Wilson and her baby. Bless them. Lord, I pray for those who are hurting this morning. Be near to them. We pray for those who are not here. Keep them safe in Christ. Lord, we pray for this community, for Fayette County. Lord, may your gospel, may your gospel proclamation from this church and these people be on our minds everywhere we go. Lord, we pray for our country and its leaders. They need your wisdom. They are lost in the darkness without it. We pray for our missionaries. Lord, bless Jeff and Katie. Bless the work of their hands. Bless their family. Bless the students that they come in contact with, the Bible study that Katie leads, that the people of Japan might know the risen and reigning Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Almost 20 years ago, an American thriller based on Robert Lydam's 1980 novel hit the big screen. It was called The Bourne Identity. It was about a secret assassin from the U.S. government who suffered psychogenic amnesia. He was found floating in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea by a fishing boat. And when he was found there, he didn't know his name. He didn't know how he got there. He didn't even know where he was from. He did, however, know some other things. He could tie intricate knots. And if you've seen the movie, you know he could memorize every license plate of a restaurant that he went into, of every car in the parking lot. And although I'm deeply against spoil alerts, it's been almost 20 years And so the entire movie, the entire series of movies, is about Jason Bourne trying to figure out who he was because he had forgotten everything about him. As we come to Colossians 3 this morning, I want to challenge us and ask the same question of who are we? Do we remember who we are? Do we know our true identity? The Christian life, the scriptures tell us, is a different kind of life. And it's important for us to know, because the world tries to distract us from this life. The world tries to make us forget who we've become. The world engrosses us in a lie, and we become like Jason Bourne. We get amnesia, and we forget that our lives are hidden in Christ. And it's not just the world that does this, but it's even the depths of our own sin and the darkness of our own hearts, our own brokenness, and as we will see today, our own idolatry. But just a single day after Christmas, I don't know if you... Like me, it seems like it was forever ago, but I still have the glitter on my shoes to prove that it was yesterday. We have spent all of Advent looking at who Jesus is, what he came to do. We celebrated, we studied, we sang, we prayed, we read about Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do during Advent. But as John often says from behind this pulpit, The question before the house this morning is, who are we? Do we remember? And I want us to look at this text, I want us to get the answer from this text, and I want us to see three different things about this different kind of life. That this life looks like the Christ's life, the circumcised life, and the common life. As we jump in to chapter three, we need some context because, as all of our students will say, context is—I heard one person say it. Was it you, Catherine? Context is king. Paul has been writing a letter to the Colossians to tell them of how the gospel has impacted their lives, and it seems that in this young church's life, they have been distracted from the real Jesus. And some people have been teaching that in addition to the gospel, and if you remember my last sermon, they believed in a Jesus and gospel. They believed that they needed Jesus and they needed sophisticated philosophy or elemental powers or experiences. And then and only then could they truly understand the fullness of the gospel of grace Paul addresses them and tells them they have, they have forgotten who they are. And he begins in verse 1. If then, and this could be translated as therefore, but this translation captures it beautifully. If everything that I have said before this is true, then everything that I, what I'm about to say is also true. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is the Christ life? It's a life united to Christ. In this language... United with Christ, if you haven't heard it before, you haven't hung around me very often. But it is something that you need to know because it's at the center of all of Paul's theology. Union with Christ means that everything that Christ accomplished is ours. Paul has said in Philippians 1 that this great mystery of the gospel has been made known to us through the word. And this great mystery is that Christ is in you. This letter is filled with this idea. All of Paul's letters are filled with this idea that if you are in Christ, your salvation is secure. That is the hope of the gospel. John Calvin says, Christ, having been made ours, makes us sharers with him in the gifts which has been endowed to us. Do not therefore contemplate him Outside ourselves from afar, in order that his righteousness might be imputed to us, but because we are put because we put on Christ and are engrafted into his body, in short, because he deigns to make us one of him, for this reason, we glorify, that we have fellowship in the righteousness that is his union with Christ is to speak of a covenant bond of the believer. And of Christ, that everything, literally everything that was his, he lavished on us. Paul used the same imagery of covenant relationship between a man and a woman. They become one flesh. To say it negatively, if you are not in Christ, you have no part of who Christ is. This is the Christ life. To be united to Christ is to partake of him. To have Christ living inside of us, you cannot separate being a Christian from having Christ live and reign inside of you. And Paul gives us three deeply theological examples of what being in Christ is like. He, he talks about this Christ Life identity in a resurrection life, in a, crucified li- in a crucified life, in a glorified life. And if you're taking notes, my first main point is the Christ life. And now I have three sub points. You're very welcome, Catherine. The resurrection life. Paul says we have been raised with Christ. And notice this verb tense. We have been raised. We have already experienced new life through Christ's resurrection, because we are in him. This is what we can call the already and the not yet. This has already happened to us. We have been raised through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been given new life already. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the language of being born again. If you believe in Jesus, you have been born again. You have been saved. You have been redeemed. You have been resurrected with Christ. This is your current situation because what Christ did on the third day. For Paul, this is resurrection life. This is eschatological life. Eschatology in the New Testament, and I'm sure as you've studied The book of Revelation sometimes speaks of the end of the world. But most times, New Testament authors are talking about the change in the ages. And the change has already happened. Because Christ has already resurrected and ascended in glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you hear that language? He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are resurrected. We've been given new life already. Paul says before we had faith in Christ, we were dead spiritually in our transgressions. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive again in Christ. Resurrection life is a life in the spirit that we are experiencing now. We already have a foretaste of the life to come because we are in Christ. You have been born again if you've had faith Jesus you're living part of your best life now because the best life is found in Jesus this is the resurrection life Paul also speaks about the crucified life in verse 3 He also says past tense you have died and you are and your life is hidden with God to be resurrected with Christ means you have also died with Christ. And in Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. For Paul, you cannot separate the death and the resurrection of Christ. They always go together. And this is why in, Second, in Colossians 2, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in a powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And I would love to go into our theology of baptism, but I've already covered union with Christ already and not yet eschatology. And so we'll just save it for another time. But in our baptisms, we have been united in Christ, in his death and resurrection. We have received the sign and the seal. It has been accomplished past Tense, our salvation is secure because of Jesus. There's resurrection life. There's crucified life. And then the third aspect of this, Christ's life is the glorified life. And this is what we see in verse 4. Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, present tense, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, future tense. Don't miss what Paul is saying. Everything that Christ has has been given to us. It's been accomplished. There's nothing to be added. But yet there's even more. Because when Christ returns, the radiance of his glory will change us. Just as we have been spiritually resurrected with Christ, we do believe in a bodily resurrection we will raise from the grave just like Jesus did. And our souls will be infinitely and eternally united together with Christ and the beam of his glory will change us. Because that's what the Christ life looks like. This is the story of scripture. This is the gospel from beginning to end. It's all about what God has done for us in Christ. But we don't want to miss what Paul is saying. Even though these deep theological truths are in just these first four verses, that's not actually what Paul is talking about. He says two things that we must do if we believe in Christ. And he says it in the first two verses. Seek the things that are above. And in verse 2 he says, Set your minds on the things that are above. These are commands that Paul is giving to the church in Colossae and saying, if you've forgotten who you are, you need to look unto heaven where Christ is. And I hope you're asking the question, why? If we've already received resurrection life, if we've already been crucified with Christ, and if we look for the hope and the glory of return of Christ, why are we seeking the things above? And listen to what Paul is saying. You seek the things that are above because that is where Christ is. You set your minds on the things above because that is where Christ is. We are to seek the things that are above. We do that here together. When we read the word, when we partake of baptism and partake of the Lord's Supper, Most Reformed theologians, and John, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here. Most Reformed theologians speak most frequently of union with with Christ when we come to the Lord's Supper. Because it is at the Lord's Supper we feast. We eat of his body. We drink of his blood. And as we sang in our songs, every motion in Scripture is God coming to us in our need. God came to Adam and Eve. God descended in glory upon the sanctuary. God came to us when the Word became flesh. At Pentecost, God came to us in the Holy Spirit. In the end, God will come again in glory. But at the Lord's table, the Spirit is at work. And this is the only motion in all of Scripture where we see the saints are lifted towards Christ because that is where Christ is. And so the question for you this morning is, Are you seeking Christ? It is a command in God's word. Are you seeking Christ? Do you miss hearing the word that tells us about Christ? Do you miss taking the sacraments where we Feast on Christ. And not only are we seeking Christ, but are we teaching others to seek after Christ as well? Because in all of Paul's theology, however deeply rich it is, it's always practical and it's always facing towards other people. Are we teaching people about who Christ is? so that they may find the light of the world. The different life is a Christ life, and the different kind of life is also a circumcised life. And this is where we get to verses 5 to 11. And Paul lists some vices. Put to death, therefore... We put to death, therefore, because we have already been put to death in Christ and therefore put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion and evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on. But you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. This first this first list has to do primarily with sexual sin the second has to do with sin of speech and what Paul is telling us is how intricate our lives are because remember what we've just talked about in verses one through four we've been raised we've been crucified but yet we find this true reality of the not yet that we remain and continue in sin. All sexual sin is selfish. It's wanting and desiring something for yourself at the expense of someone else. Paul is using this imagery of take off this life. It's like we put on a jacket. My son Joel asked me, "Why do we wear these robes during Advent?" And I stopped because I figured out I had never explained to him why. And I said, first, the church wears robes during high liturgical seasons of the Christian calendar. We wear them during Advent and during Easter. And we do that to set a visible distinction between ordinary time and non-ordinary time. I said the second reason that we wear robes is because we as pastors have been ordained to preach the word and to distribute the sacraments. It sets us apart from everyone else in the congregation. And this is what Paul is saying. We need to take off our old robes and be clothed with Christ. We need to put on Christ. Look at in these verses, all the times that you see Paul say put. He says put to death in verse 5. Put them all away in verse 8. Verse 9 he says put off. And then in verse 10 and 12 he says put on. And Paul is using this language To explain this already, we have died. Our old selves are dead with Christ, but yet we still sin. And so it is a battle. And when I thought about how hard it is to take that off, how hard it is to put off old clothes, I thought about my favorite pair of Chacos that broke this past summer had these for years. and If you don't know what Chacos are, it's lots of the youth group call them my Jesus sandals. It's a sandal, but Chaco is very specific. It has one strap that goes through the sole of the foot. So if you pull on one strap, other part of the shoes will tighten because it's just one strap. And it took years for that shoe to mold to my feet. If someone else put them on, I would know it because the straps were messed up. And if someone else put on my shoe, it'd be hard for them to wear because the sole was the imprint of my shoe. At RYM, my chacos broke. And I had to buy a new pair. And I hate this new pair because they're uncomfortable and the straps aren't tight in the right spots. i gotten used to them. They fit and they were comfortable. And that is what our sin does to our hearts. It makes us comfortable. It makes us not want to try something new. Because as John preached on Christmas Eve, God disrupts our lives with his new life. Maybe it's not a pair of chacos for you. Maybe it's a sweatshirt, a pair of jammies. Maybe it's warm socks. but your old self makes you forget who you are in Christ. And Paul tells us, Paul commands us, put to death your old self. Put to death your selfishness. Put to death your tongue That hurts other people. Because that is not who Christ is. And Christ lives in you. Paul uses a very similar illustration in chapter 2. He says, Circumcise, circumcise your hearts, put away. This very bloody removal of the foreskin of the male organ is what God commanded Abraham to do. And it was a sign to him of God's faithfulness. And Paul is telling us to do the same thing. We are to circumcise our lives. We are supposed to put off, put to death, put down our lives of sin and seek Yet, however darkly Paul presents these sinful actions, he does not regard them as placing us beyond hope. He reminds us that we are being renewed in the knowledge of the Creator, which takes us back to the Christ hymn in Colossians 1. If you are in Jesus, you are a new creation, And he's the creator of everything. There's hope for you. And we do this by having the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And this is exactly where this passage takes us. In verse 16, he says... teaching and admonishing one another, right? Oh, the application isn't about me. It's about how I respond to others, teaching others, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving and in our hearts. Being in Christ doesn't just benefit us, it benefits the people around us. And in verse 14, and above all and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul reminds us in his letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul says also in Romans 13, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Do you know what love looks like? It's an easy answer. It looks like Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant. Jesus is compassionate. Only two characters in the Bible are described as meek. Moses and Jesus. Jesus bore with us. And our sins. And he took them to the cross. And here we can hear the words of Jesus. In Paul, when he says, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus looks like. If you are in Christ, this is what you should Look like. Whether you're Jewish or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, red, yellow, black or white, you should look like Christ because he lives inside of you. If this does not describe you, come to Jesus. Seek Jesus. Don't work to your own despair. Because there is no hope outside of Jesus. This is the free gift of the gospel. It's a gospel life. It's a different kind of life. And guess what? It's going to be hard. Because we all sin. But our sin has been dealt with. Put on your new selves. Put on the armor of God. It's Christ. All of these virtues, all these things that we are supposed to put on, to put on Christ, force us to do what Jesus did. And that will change this church. And it will change this community forever. Because we won't be self seeking, we'll be doing it for the glory of Christ. We've seen the Christ life. We've seen the circumcised life. And lastly, we see the common life in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Before I got all three of my main points to start with C, the Christ life, the circumcised life, the common life, this was the whatever-you-do life. And preparing for our Sunday school class on the Lord's Prayer, I was reading R.C. Sproul's book. And he reminded me of the lives that the disciples lived, the type of lives that they signed up for. And he says in his book on the Lord's Prayer, they enrolled when Jesus said to them, follow me. And when Jesus said that, he literally meant that. He didn't ask them to go to his school. He didn't ask them to come into his house. He didn't ask them to sign up for classes. He walked around and he taught them. They moved from village to village and his disciples went with him, forming an entourage of sorts. When Jesus called the disciples, he wasn't just saying, follow my teachings. He literally wanted them to follow him everywhere he went. This is the common life of a life linked with Jesus. This is the type of life of what happens when the word of Christ dwells in us and we seek the things that are above, because that is where Christ is. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly, we will teach one another. We will admonish one another, and admonishing in today's terms talks about reprimanding someone, almost shaming them. But this word in the Greek means to counsel them in avoidance of improper life. It's a warning of where sin leads. Because every time we talk and think about our sin, I don't know about your heart, but my heart always says, oh, that's a pretty good life. But that old life that we're called to put off, it only leads to one place, and it's not life. It's death. And when we sing and when we teach and when we monitor each other, we do it with thankfulness, because Christ sought us. This is the life united to Christ. It's a Christ life. It's a circumcised life. It's a common life. This is who we are. This is our identity. Don't let the world make you forget it. and Don't let your sin make you so comfortable you forget who you are. And I must ask you, are you willing to follow this Christ? Or are you redefining what this life looks like? Because you know what that redefined life will look like? It's going to look like you. And it's not going to look like Christ. This is who we are. We are in Christ. The price has been paid. And now we wait. And Paul tells us, Paul reminds us, You are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Don't forget it. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget why you are here. And don't forget where we're going. Seek Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes. Help us. For we cannot put on this new self because it has nothing to do with our work. But it is your work. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let us stand and sing.